What we're going to look at uh, this morning is our life together here as the South Side. In the book of Daniel, which we're starting next week, we're going to see loads of stuff, a call to action for our life out there in the world, in your workplace, in your family, in your student life. How you follow God in a culture that, that I think this would be an understatement if you know the book of Daniel, that maybe discourages you from following God uh, or like tries to kill you in the book of Daniel for following God. How do you follow God out there in the real world? So that's coming. There's loads of that to come. But today, I don't want to so much call us to action out there as call us and me and you to action in here, in here. This is an in here talk this morning. And uh, that's not to say there won't be things relevant for you if you're, if you're new or you're visiting this morning. Uh, hopefully, there'll be loads for you as well. But this is about our life together this morning. And as I've been preparing this, I have felt a burden for our, our life in here. But then as I've looked at this stuff, I've realized that there's a burden on my life in here that's going to come through this morning and a challenge to each of us personally as we seek to live as part of the South Side. What does this mean for each of us to buy into that and to do that in a way that glorifies God and serves each other? So that's what we're looking at, our life together. Now, I imagine if we tried to make a list of all the things that we wanted the South site to grow in, I reckon we'd get as many things as there are people in the room. There would be a big, broad spectrum of things that we'd be passionate about, what ministries we could do, uh, how loud the worship should be, uh, how uh, kind of less hand gestures from the preacher, or whatever it might be that we would think about Southside. We'd have lots of different passions, and that's right, and that's good. But I just this morning want to really simplify it. I want us to think about one thing for the Southside. Is that all right? Can you, can you come with me to one thing? And I think this would be at the top of God's list for how we are to be together. And it's this idea that drips off every page of the New Testament and pours out of every word almost in the New Testament. And it's incredibly simple and incredibly deep and incredibly hard and incredibly beautiful. It is that we together would love one another. That we would love one another. We would love each other. That's what I want to look at. Um, Jesus, in the night before he dies, uh, this seems to just spill out of him, this idea. It's interesting. We've just been on a a family holiday with uh, both sets of parents, in-laws. Oh, yeah, bold, isn't it? See, Jesus can just give you courage, guys. It's amazing. And uh, see, sometimes by the end of the week, it's tiring. And, and when the pressure comes on me when I'm tired and I'm in the kind of, you know, blurry eyes and all of that, what spills out of me when the pressure's on is like I irritate my mum and make her cry. That was bad. Like that's what spills out of me. The real me kind of comes out and I'm a bit rude and a bit careless and a bit harsh. Because when the pressure comes on, you know, you say, oh, it just slipped, I don't know, it just slipped out of me. But it's like, no, because you weren't pretending well anymore. And it just pours out of you, the real you, when the pressure's on. You want to know what a bloke Jesus is. When the pressure's on Jesus, he's about to die. And he has one last meal with his pals. And you think, all the faff's going to go. Now it's the real stuff. Look what pours out of Jesus. He says, love each other. This is what his heart beats for, for this sight. Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And then he says it again. This is my commandment. Love each other. 
And then he says it again, in the same way I've loved you, this is my command, love each other. So if I say the same thing over and over again today, Jesus did it first. So blame him. And it's not just Jesus. Every New Testament writer, you think of all the the, the priorities that the New Testament speaks about. You think about how they talk about uh, Jews and Gentiles coming together. And it talks about root out false teaching and go on mission together. And all all these different things it teaches us about. Spiritual gifts. All the stuff that's in the New Testament. Seemingly just floating to the top for every writer in the New Testament is this, this priority. But above it all, love each other. Love each other. So let's just go on a little whirlwind tour. As I said, just let the overall effect wash over you of uh, New Testament writers. Look at John to start with. He says this, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. What is it? To love one another. Next slide. We should love one another. And then as if he just kind of thinks you might have forgotten it, just a chapter later, let us continue to love one another. And just to make sure that you know it's really important, next slide, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. They must. This is not kind of 10 years in, 20 years in, you tag this on to your general Christianity. This is a must. You must love one another. Look at Peter. Peter, this coward who runs away, you know, the the pressure comes on. And uh, and I'm horrible to my mum. And Jesus is stunning to his friends. And Peter is a coward when the pressure comes on. He runs away from the people of God. But then, later on, he gets it. Look what he says. No, love each other as brothers and sisters. Then he says next, most important of all. See, there's lots of things. The Christian life, anyone says it's just about one thing. It's not, it's about tons. But most important of all, Southside, continue to show deep love for each other. Or think of what Paul says in that overused wedding passage. You know the one. 1 Corinthians 13, where he says this. And it's it's about marriage because it's about love. And marriage is about love. And so it's fine if you had it at your wedding. I'm not having a go. All good. But it's not actually really only about that. It's much more about a church because it's written to a church and it's about church relationships. And he says this, if I could speak, imagine how blessed we'd be if someone like this turned up at the south side and said, I'm all into your mission. Let's go. Imagine how blessed we'd feel if someone who could speak all the languages of earth and of angels so they can speak in tongues and interpret it. And they can interpret your tongue. They can speak in your tongue. They can speak in his tongue. They, they just, wow. But didn't love others. I would only be as useful in the church as whacking a cymbal. No offense to the drummer. <laughs> but if all we did every week when we gathered was we stood there and we went... For an hour and a half. That's how useful language guy would be if he didn't love. Look at the next verse. Imagine this girl turning up. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans. So you know how God's weaving this thing in your life over years? They know about it. 
They get it. They see it. How is God ruling over every nation and every election and every dictator and every injury and every healing and every... They get it all. Amazing person. And possessed all knowledge, more books than Jonathan Bell. (laughs) And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, they walk into a hospital and cancer goes. Dead raised. They walk into a graveyard. Such faith is theirs. And they would, this is how useful it would be to have them in the south side. They didn't love others, I would be nothing. Look at the next guy. If I gave everything I have to the poor, can you imagine how much we'd big that dude up? Like everything. And even sacrificed my body, they sold both arms and both legs and gave it to a homeless charity, the money. Like they did it all. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, you get to heaven and you would have gained nothing by doing that. If you didn't love. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if uh, Jesus, Peter, John and Paul are not enough for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old preacher, said this, I do not hesitate to say that the ultimate test of our profession of the Christian faith, so the ultimate litmus test of whether we're actually Christians, I believe is this whole question of our loving one another. Now, in a sense, this is really simple, isn't it? This is This is the start, you know, you learn this in Tot Central, like Christians love each other, yes. But if you've been around uh, Christians or church or this church even, uh, or me, for a while, you'll know that the call to love one another is simple, but it isn't easy. You see that? It's simple. Most of Tot Central could tell you this, but it ain't easy. It's not easy if you look at the, the Christian church on a big scale. And you see, Christians have known you men to love each other since, you know, Jesus was saying it. And yet the church worldwide and through history has often not really been known for its love, has it? There's infighting and denominations headbutting each other. And, you know, you interpret the seventh verse of Hebrews 8 differently to me. So I'm going to burn you at the stake and, and all of this stuff. And, and, and theological clarity is very important. And therefore, disputes are important. And the New Testament calls you to massively dispute if someone's saying the wrong thing but if the church worldwide is known for its disputes we are missing it love one another and it's not easy when you look at the church in the zoomed in I've been in church central which by the way is the greatest church ever (laughs) of course and I've been in church central seven and a half years and I have mostly experienced eternally blissful experiences of that, obviously. But then at times, it's hard being in church. And uh, I'm not going to talk about any times anyone else has rubbed me up the wrong way. But just for me, I know myself, I have rubbed people up the wrong way, mostly accidentally, sometimes very deliberately. And because we're different cultures and races and backgrounds, it's just, of course, there will be clashes. And actually, to be a Christian... Everyone, to become a Christian, you have to put your hand up and say, I am sick to my core. 
And you put a load of those type of people in a room together, occasionally it's going to just clash. Because we've all admitted that we're a total mess without Jesus. And we're all on the way and on a work in progress. But it's not, we shouldn't be shocked or embarrassed to say, of course, it's hard in church sometimes. Because it's hard to be around me. And therefore, it's hard to be in this church because I'm in it. And, and it's hard sometimes to be around, around you. You know, maybe. And therefore, it's hard to be in church central south sometimes. Not just externally in how I've interacted with people, but I think primarily this is where this hits the road. Internally, in my inner conversation about this site and about people in the site, mostly, obviously, I'm praying for your eternal blessing every minute. But sometimes, when I get it wrong... I'm a bit tutty. Is that just me? I'm a bit tutty. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit gossipy sometimes, actually. I can be. And uh, sometimes I'm a little bit negative sometimes. And of course, I'm, I, I mask that as the spiritual gift of discernment, which is very important, isn't it? To discern. I tell you what, I am not called to discern other people's sin and sort of mull it over all the time. I'm called to discern my own. And I'm called to start there. And until I've got that sorted, that's kind of where I'll stay, is actually what I'm meant to do. And I'm meant to think the best of you. Uh, hey, this is not a confession time. Like, I haven't got like voodoo dolls of you all, don't worry. But at times... I just get dragged into negativity. Maybe it's just me. I think I have need to grow in love. And uh, maybe for just my own sake, we're going to look at that for the rest of the time. How do we grow in real love of one another? Is that all right? In order to grow in love, you need to know two things. And we're going to look at these two things. And then I'm going to finish it off by uh, looking through... That bit of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, love is kind, love is patient, la la la, weddings, yay. And we're going to look at that and think about what that would mean if we lived that out in the site. So that's where we're going to land, loads of practical outworking. But first of all, I want to quickly look at two big questions you need to know. You need to know where real love comes from, and you need to know what real love looks like. Firstly, where does real love come from? If you want to, in 2019, if this is your resolution, if you want to get more loving, you want to become more loving in the South Side, where do you go? Do you search within and try hard? Or do you pluck it out of the air and just, oh, I'll just be loving. I'll just be it. Well, like, good luck. I've tried that for years. It's hard. Where do you go? John tells us, 1 John 4, 7, Love comes from God. Do you want to stock up on love so that you've got some to give out? Go to God. That's what it says. Next verse, God is love. That's where you go. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you can. Di- I'm not saying that you have no love in your life. Goodness me, some of the non-Christians I know are the most loving people I've ever met. You want to get deeper into real, true, real love, God is love. You've got to go to him. And he's not just loving. He is love. Remember this, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not a God on his tod, 
but an interpersonal triune God who is love in himself. And so if you want to have your life in 2019 more defined by love, you need to have your life in 2019 more defined by the triune God. Because God is love. God is love. Next verse. How do you get your love to be more perfect? As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. It's like a stream. Do you want downstream for your love to be more perfect? What causes that? Upstream, you live in God. You walk with God. You talk with God. You do life with God. You get near to God. You fall on your face and say sorry to God. Live in God. That grows your love. And if you rub shoulders with a God this loving, you will become loving. You don't have to just pluck it out the air. Get to God over days, weeks, months, years, and you will become more loving. Last verse in this bit. We love each other. Why? Because he loved us first. You see that? This helps me. My motive for loving you, listen, is not that you are lovely. And it's not that I'm lovely. It's that he's lovely and I'm loved. That's that's my motive. I don't only love you when you're lovable. He didn't only love me when I'm lovable. No, he loved me. And therefore, when I'm unlovely, if he loves me, then when you're unlovely, I love you. Do you see that? That's my motive. Not that you're lovely, or I'm lovely, but that he's lovely and I'm loved. So that's where we go for love. Secondly, what does real love look like? What are we talking about? Like hugs? Sure. But what does real love look like? Now, the world has many definitions of love, many senses of what love should feel like, smell like, look like. But Christians are to model their lives on one very specific type of love. And John tells us, 1 John 3, 16, we know what real love is. You don't have to guess. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That is love. So is love Disney? Ah. Or like the soaring sound of string music. Love. Or sort of pretty bubbles floating in the air. Love. No, love is the cross. That's love. That's real love. It's the cross. Christian love that you're called to is not Disney. It's dying. And it isn't... Sounds of of soaring strings in the air. It's sacrifice and serving and stooping. That's love. That's what we're called to. Not called to hug all the time. We're called to serve and sacrifice and stoop. It bubbles in the air. Christian love is much more like blood on the ground than bubbles in the air. It's the cross. It's costly to love. It's hard to love. Does that mean you should stop or you're doing it wrong? No, sometimes it's hard to love. Have you ever noticed this? That sometimes to hold your tongue and love 
feels like death sometimes. You ever felt that? Where to, the easy thing is to be mean, like I was to my mum. The hard thing is to love. Why does love sometimes feel like dying? Because love is dying. And that's just what love is. That's all love. The best marriage advice I ever got was my old boss said to me, what you're called to do in your marriage is bleed for your bride. And uh, I would love to live that out more. But that's love. That's what it is. It's not carrying over others. It's not demanding others love me. It's bleeding. That's what love is. And there's joy in it. Of course there's joy in it. Have you ever seen a marriage where the husband lays down his life for the bride and the bride joyfully follows the husband? There is joy in sacrifice. Have you ever seen a church? I'm in one. Where people mutually die for each other in a million tiny ways and love and serve. There's joy in it. It's not all glum, but the root to that sort of joy is a love that dies for one another. Now, so what does this look like practically for us as the South Side? For me, for you, and our relationships together. Because it's very unlikely that I'll ever have to actually bleed for you. I think. I'm trying, yeah, like an emergency, I don't know. It's unlikely I'm ever going to have to bleed for you. Uh, Though, if that was necessary in this culture one day, that would be the call on us. That's what Jesus did. That's unlikely that that's going to be my call. Actually, love in Church Central South is a million tiny, ordinary-looking, small moments, isn't it, together, where we put ourselves second and others first. So what does that look like? Let's go back to everybody's favorite wedding passage and see how flipping beautiful and flipping hard real love is. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to see a load of different things. And I want you to just reflect as you go, which of these really do I think I need to focus on for a bit? Which of these do I need to take to God and go, I'm not doing this, I could do with some help? Okay, so in church life, first of all, love is patient. And I want to ask you that question, are you? Are you? Love that's patient knows things in church take a long time. And uh, shallow things grow very quickly. Ask uh, uh, some cress on your windowsill. And deep, strong things grow very, very slowly. Ask an oak tree. And love is patient. Sometimes people are hard to, to, to keep going with. Or you think, oh, they should, they should know better by now. Love is patient. Are you? Because Jesus is taking his time with you. Have you noticed that? You know, if Jesus walked away to a new project <laughs> when you were ever so slightly slow on the whole Christian life thing, he'd have gone, and yet he's, he's still with you. He's patient. Love is patient, are you? Love is kind, are you? I looked up kindness, and kindness means, according to, to Google, 
warm-heartedness or tender-heartedness? I'll ask that question again. Love is kind, are you? Now, there's a time for firmness and strength and robustness, if that's a word, and fighting the good fight and going to war against the sin and the devil and spiritual battle and even rage as a Christian. There is a time and a place, if you're godly, that will be in you. But that flows from a warm and tender heart. And that's, that's not girly, that's godly. And I want to just momentarily address men in the room. We need to be strong, courageous people in God. We need to be strong in grace. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to be willing to stand up and take a hit and take a bullet and, and, and take flack and dig in and be gritty and tough. And we're to be kind. And that is not girly. That's godly. You think of uh, Jesus is described in Titus. Titus is talking about Christmas. And he could have said, when Jesus appeared, he saved us. But he gives Jesus this incredible title. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God appeared, he saved us. Who is Jesus? He's the goodness and loving kindness of God to you. And if he's been good and loving kind to you, you breathe it out to others. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, are you? Now, jealousy is when you want something all to yourself. And there are right forms of jealousy, okay? God is jealous for you because you are his by rights. And he's won your love. And therefore, when you stray from God, he's jealous for you. And that's a beautiful thing. That doesn't mean he's petty. That means he, he wants you because you are his. It's a right form of jealousy. But bad jealousy, we'll call it, is when you want something all for yourself that isn't yours. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. But you demand it for yourself. And jealous in this sense is when among one another we see someone else's gift that's theirs, or someone else's relationships that are theirs, or opportunities that are theirs, or waistline that is theirs, or intellect that is theirs, or living room that is theirs, or past experience or upbringing that is theirs, and you hear of their blessing, and you kind of hate them because you want it. It's okay to have longings, but we get jealous when we say, that should be mine. And you think of Jesus you know, jealousy says, I wish you were poorer so that I could be richer in any number of ways. I wish you were poorer so that I could have. And Jesus, who has it all, what does it say in the Bible? He became poor that we might become rich. He's been like that to you. Love is not jealous. There's quite a few of these. Let's keep going. Love is not boastful, are you? Now, boastful, what were we singing earlier? Worthy of every breath I could ever breathe. Boastful is when I take the breath that is given to me by the scarred hands of Jesus 
and use it to put words in my mouth to make you think I'm a big deal. When it's given to me by God. And I use his breath and his mouth in the sense that he made it and he owns it to make you think I'm important. That's what boastful is. And Jesus, who is a big deal, instead uses his words to do good to others and point to his father and say, not my will, his will. He's, he's amazing. I need to do what I see the father doing. Love is not boastful. And Paul says that if we're to boast, we are to boast and make a big deal about the things we stink at. And if others notice things we're good at and encourage us, then smashing. That's lovely. That is not our job. Our job is to boast in weakness and point to God. And when people say something encouraging to you, you say, thank you very much. How are you? Thank you. I'm not going to shrug it off. Thank you. So how are you? Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Are you? Pride is a a way of seeing the world that is through your two eyes, and obviously they're the only eyes you've ever seen through, so that's okay. But pride thinks that the world is about you, and the room is about you, and the the worship time, and the, 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 the room, and the church, and the life group, and the the meal and the journey home is about you. It's about me. That's what I think. It's about me. And pride walks into a room and says, I'm here. Serve me. And humility walks into a room and says, there you are. You're there. How can I serve you? Can you imagine church like that? I'm in a church like that. Imagine a church even more like that. Love is not proud. Love is uh, Lucy and Ali and Nathan and Deepak, who's ill today, and Ed setting up chairs as venue managers. Because love is not proud. They walk in, they say, how can I serve you? Love is Jenny Fenton, as I pull up in the car park today, dragging a, a, a thing of signs on this wheelie trolley. And I think a a child, I think, who looked like they were having the best time of their life. You know, doing something hard and unseen if I hadn't been looking in my wing mirror. Love is not proud, are you? Love is not rude, like I was with my mum. I think this is, you could say a lot of things about this. I'm going to define rude as being careless with our language with one another. And perhaps our our body language as well. I just want to say this. Please don't be careless with each other in church. Because some of us have got some stuff going on. And some of us are coming in carrying quite a lot. And we can say challenging things to one another. But we shouldn't be careless. We shouldn't be needlessly rude. We should try hard to not be like that. Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Do you? I think this is the plague of any church. I've only been in three. And I think this comes up in my heart so much and in church. And this is where simply we believe very passionately, and you might be right, actually, 
that, that, that your way is the best way, or even more, that your way is the only way. Now, that's, that's true on some issues. If I start saying, look, guys, Jesus isn't the Son of God, and you were to say, no, it's important that you say that he is, that's not you being, like, bad, because you're demanding. There are some things you've got to be firm on. But actually, love in church says, as long as God is glorified and it's not sinful, I would rather we did it how you like it. And can you imagine if as a community, what a witness to the world, where every single person in here prefers it when it's done how other people like it. (laughs) That'd be crazy. Jesus had the right to demand his own way in the garden. And he didn't because he saw no. Serving others and glorifying God is bigger even than the personal desires of Jesus. He says, not my will, yours. Oh, God, I I really want to be like that. Just a few more. Love is not irritable. Are you? I think we can be, and when I say we, I mean me, and I haven't really noticed you lot because I'm really selfish, but I think one can be very wound up a bit quick. Now, you've got to be wound up about some stuff, like global poverty, you know, and, and, and kind of gang violence in our city. But there are some things that are just not worth being annoyed about. <laughs> and sometimes love just takes a little breath and goes... That's fine. You know, God is said to be long-suffering with us. Now, he comes to us and challenges us, doesn't he? He's not soft. He's not just like in a grump. Love is not irritable. Are you? Love keeps no record of being wronged. Do you? Now, I, I, I do this. You, you kind of, someone gets in your way or does something bad in life, and I, I, I jot it down on my inner post-it, and I pin it on my inner fridge, and I don't bring it up all the time, but it's there, and when they next do it, even if it's four years later, I bring it up, I jot it on the post-it, and I think, that's classic them, <laughs> right? I just, I just keep a record, just keep a little record, you know, and I've been doing it every minute for like my whole life, and I ignore that. I overlook because you know you've got to be gentle to yourself. But they're an idiot, right? And I keep a little record. Now, do you know what Jesus does on the cross? Jesus shows that love would rather have nails through its hands than pin up a little record of other people's wrongs. Oh, what a God we have! Now, big stuff, you've got to call it out. In ch- big stuff that's wrong, that is morally wrong, you've got to call it out. This is not saying over- overlook anything that happens in a church. No, 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 no. Call it out. Medium-sized stuff, talk to the person about it rather than about them to yourself. Talk to them about it. But I just want to bring it to this thing. Small things, just overlook it. Just let it go. Overlook a small offense, the Bible says. Overlook a minor offense. Now, you've got to bring some stuff out into the light, uh, particularly with leaders. 
You've got to do that. But our heart shouldn't be any excuse to jot something else on the post-it. Our heart should be, we got, we'd rather go on the cross and take it away than pin it up. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So many things to say about that, but just want to pick up that idea of rejoicing in the truth. Love rejoices when true things are said, not lies, not false things. And I very rarely lie about people. I tell you what I do do. I exaggerate other people's faults, and I lie about my own by minimizing them. <laughs> like, I don't say, you know, he killed someone when he didn't, but I just, I just like to lie to myself a bit. I'm better than I am. They're worse than they are. That's in me. And love rejoices in the truth. Two more, and then we'll pray. If you're feeling vaguely challenged, which this is killing me. This is like a life of stuff to think about, isn't it? Okay, two more. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, are you? It can be hard in church to stick with someone long term and walk with them long term and love them long term. And I, I feel this is a youth leader. Uh, I, I, I can feel tempted to, to, to give up a bit. And actually, love never gives up. Love never loses faith in what someone might be, what God might do. Love is always hopeful. Love is optimistic about people. Love isn't naive about people, but love is optimistic. Love thinks, think not what they are, but what they could be. And go after it hard. And hey, yes, they're stumbling, but hey... Look, so did I a million times. Look what they could be. Look how God had a beautiful vision of what I could be in mind when he saved me from the puddle of filth that I'd built for myself. Look at his vision for me. Look what I will be in heaven. I'll be like Jesus in heaven, it says. So will you. Love never gives up. Keeps going. Like, if someone annoys you, keep going with them. Pray for their future. And the last thing, love endures through every circumstance. Do you? Good times together in church. Bad times together in church. Imperfections on every seat in this room. Imperfections on these two feet. Imperfections in every ministry, every site. Everyone. <laughs> All the time is imperfect in church. Love endures. Love endures to every circumstance. I feel challenged by the Bible. And that's one paragraph. You're not knowing what to read and you, you kind of, you've given up your year, Bible in a year already. And you just go to 1 Corinthians 13 and take a couple of words a day and pray into it. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? Um, and I can feel a bit overwhelmed at, at this, a little bit condemned, actually, and you might be feeling that as well. Uh, just look at this little uh, quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think it will help us as we finish. He was uh, writing a commentary on, this, uh, on 1 John, which is all this stuff. 
And he says, I'm afraid that as we read these words together, we all feel condemned. But I'm trusting that as we do so, we shall all not only feel condemned for our failure, but also that we shall feel a great sense of longing to live this Christian life in all its glory, in all its fullness.